Hello, this is Marissa Schaefer, and welcome to Dancewell Podcast's 76th episode, Returning to Dance Postpartum with Pelvic Floor PT, Dr. Julia Rosenthal. So I'm a new mom, which has been simultaneously wonderful and mystifying, and at times extremely difficult for me, both physically, emotionally, and otherwise. I've worked with pregnant women as a trainer and a PT and marveled at the transformation these women underwent as they progressed through the trimesters. I heard intimate details about how difficult pregnancy was for them, but always assumed mine would be smooth sailing, but I was wrong. As my body changed, I felt the implications of carrying a child inside of me in systems I hadn't thought about before, as well as those that I had. My GI system slowed and worked in different ways. I had pelvic pain that kept me from doing much at the end. And as my daughter kicked my bladder, I made frequent trips to the bathroom and my body ached. Postpartum, I realized that all of my body needed substantial time to heal and that the healing wasn't over when my ob pronounced me ready to start activity after a few weeks. Uh, what's more is I realized I didn't know as much as I felt I should about the changes in my body and what it might take to aid in the healing process and return to my full regular activity load. And I also realized at that point that we needed an episode dedicated to returning to dance postpartum. And that's where the fabulous Dr. Julia Rosenthal comes in. In this episode, she'll talk briefly about a wide range of topics to consider when returning to dance postpartum, including prolapse, urinary incontinence, the GI system, breastfeeding, and the musculoskeletal system. So get ready to take a lot of notes. This episode is chock full of great information, which I thank Julia for sharing with all of us. Julia earned her doctorate of physical therapy with honors from Columbia University's College of Physicians and Surgeons with a focus on advanced orthopedics. She went on to complete an orthopedic residency through NYU, where she specialized in dance medicine at the Harkness Center for Dance Injuries and obtained her board certification as an orthopedic clinical specialist. In 2020, she became a certified pelvic health practitioner through the Herman and Wallace Pelvic Rehabilitation Institute. Julia values the importance of holistic and individualized care, and her desire to fully understand systemic interactions in the body drove Julia toward pelvic health. Julia is passionate about treating patients with all orthopedic conditions and pelvic health conditions and sees these elements of her practice as inextricably linked. Buckle your seatbelts. On this episode, nutrition, life coach, dance and performance, psychological and today you are in for treat. Hi. Hello. This is Ellie Kushner. And this is Marissa Schaefer from Dancewell Podcast. Dancewell Podcast. Hi, Julia, and welcome to Dancewell. Hi, thanks. Yeah, thanks for being here. So Julia is going to be joining us to talk about returning to dance postpartum. Um, and we're going to start by setting the stage a little bit with how the pelvic floor and core are related um, and what they can do for you. And we'll also kind of talk about what stage of um, postpartum or what, what postpartum time period we're talking about. Um, and then we'll finish, well not finish, we'll get into the meat and potatoes really of what we're chatting about. Um, and we'll talk about prolapse and urinary incontinence and the GI system and breastfeeding. Um, and finally, the musculoskeletal system, which, you know, includes things like diastasis recti and core. So we, again, we have like a ton to talk about. And I should also say that um, there's everything that we talk about, we're going to really be skimming the surface, right? There is so much more um, to talk about within each section that we touch on. So I invite all of you uh, at the end to... Uh, feel free to reach out to Julia and touch base um, and see if, you know, if there's anything else you want to learn more about. Um, so, 
okay, Julia, let's let's chat. <laughs> okay. Um, talk to me about how the pelvic floor and the core are related and what they do for you. Yeah. So um, our pelvic floor muscles are kind of small, but they have a ton of functions that they're responsible for. When it comes to how they're related to your core, you can think of your core as like a canister of muscles. So you've got your pelvic floor on the bottom and then your abdominal muscles in the front. You know, you're th- when you think of that, you're thinking of like your transverse abdominus muscle and your obliques um, and your, even your rectus abdominis, all of those muscles in the front of the trunk. And then you've got some little muscles in the back of the trunk, smaller local muscles in the back as well as your diaphragm on top. And those things together make this kind of like cylindrical canister that is your core muscles and they all have to be able to work together. So your, and your pelvic floor is an incredibly important part of that system. Um, But it's also responsible for all kinds of other things just because of the types of organs it supports and the kinds of functions that are passing through it. So you've got bladder function, bowel function, sexual function all in the same place as this like pivotal group of muscles that's helping you maintain core support. It's a really important part of the body. Absolutely. I, um, would you say just, you know, would you say that the, that the viscera or the organs, et cetera, if they're malfunctioning, they could potentially, this might be off topic, Julia, so we can edit this out if we need be. Um, sure. But the viscera, do they, um, can they impact the functioning of the core? Totally. The way that I usually describe it to people is that there's like an ongoing conversation between what's going on in your guts and what's going on in your musculoskeletal system, which includes your pelvic floor. So, you know, for example, if you're having a lot of loose bowel movements Mm -hmm. or you struggle with diarrhea or you have, you know, a lot of gut issues or whatever it is, your pelvic floor muscles will respond in kind. If you if you're worried that you're not going to be able to control yourself in time to get to the bathroom to have a bowel movement, your pelvic floor muscles are going to be on high alert, squeezing all the time, trying to make sure that you can get there. Mm-hmm. The same goes for things like urinary incontinence, or um, you know, if you have pain because of fibroids, or you have pain because of other things that are going on in your reproductive organs, that can also cause some increased tension on your pelvic floor muscles. So there's definitely ways in which what's going on in the viscera can affect what's going on in the pelvic floor. Awesome. Okay, cool. I have a feeling we are going to get to that later when we talk about the meat and potatoes of what's uh, of returning to dance postpartum. So uh, do me a favor to find our audience, like what postpartum time period are we talking about in the episode? Yeah. So Postpartum, usually people go and get quote unquote cleared by their doctor for activity and sexual function and everything else at six weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, And so at that point, that's usually when people are starting to look to return to activity. So I would say we're talking to people who are at or beyond that six week mark. But I do want to make sure that we're very clear that postpartum is not six is not over at six weeks. Mm -mm. Um, You know, if you think of being, if you think of pregnancy and delivery, whether you have a C-section or a vaginal birth as like a, a injury, I guess that the body is going through, like the body is going through a major event Mm -hmm. at that time. And the normal amount of time that we give ourselves for rehab for other things 
is like three to four months Correct. at least. Yeah. And if you really, and sometimes as long as a year. So I would say, think of the postpartum period as like at least a year. But that said, once you're postpartum, you're always postpartum. So keeping in mind some of the things that you learn within that year in terms of like how to pay attention to your body and how to be good to your body in whatever activity you're returning to, especially dance, right. is really important. Right. Um, as a new mom myself, I <laughs> identify, right? I'm like five months out and I'm starting to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, hold on. That feels like it did before Beverly, right. my, my child, but also – there are a lot of other things that are not like my body was before. Um, is, right. that, is that why you say quote unquote cleared at six weeks? It is because I think that telling, I think that the idea of telling people that everything is going to be totally fine at six weeks and you should feel back to normal mm-hmm. is first of all, not true. Right. 99% of the time. And secondly, I think it sets up this really bad expectation where people then feel like if they're at six weeks and they're still leaking or they still have pain or they just feel really weak or whatever it is, then they're abnormal or something's wrong with them. Mm-hmm. And it absolutely isn't. That's just, you know, kind of par for the course. Like I said, your body has gone through a major event. Plus now you have a baby, mm-hmm. you're not sleeping, mm-hmm. you're possibly still breastfeeding, which we're going to talk about later, which is going to affect things. You know, it's just, it's just unreasonable to expect that your body is going to be back to normal in that time. Short frame. amount of time. Right. Right. And, and also let's talk about the fact that for nine months, um, at least, right. Uh, that you were going through like incredible changes in your body too. It wasn't just labor and delivery. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And changes throughout your body in terms of hormones and postural changes and all these other things, but also just increasing load on your pelvic floor muscles for a nine month period of time. Sure. And and just to clarify too, I say at least nine months because I would, uh, that's assuming you conceived naturally, but you could have done IVF and other things. So you could have right. had hormones going through your body for a lot longer. Right. Anyway. Okay. So that brings us, so we're talking about after you are, you know, cleared by your OB-GYN and you're ready or you are ready to start some activity in some shape or form. So, all right, let's start, Julia, by talking about prolapse. So uh, prolapse is, first of all, let's talk about the definition of prolapse because I think there are some misconceptions about even that. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially what prolapse is, is when the connective tissue, which is you know, the fascia and the ligaments and all the other stuff in your pelvic floor, aside from, aside from the muscles themselves, uh, lose some of their support and aren't strong enough to hold up the organs all the way in their original resting position. So those organs start to descend into the pelvis. And what that looks like is the walls, usually it's the walls of the vaginal canal are a little bit weaker because of delivery or because of weight on the pelvic floor that's been there over, you know, all the months that a person was pregnant or other reasons that are unrelated to pregnancy can, can also lead to this. Um, But then because of that uh, increased load over time, the walls start to weaken and the neighboring organs can start to kind of like push into the wall. Mm -hmm. And that's what a prolapse is. Um, it's incredibly, incredibly common 
in pregnancy and postpartum. So uh, there was a, there was a study where they looked at 202 women um, a one year after delivery, and I think it was done in Australia. And after and after a whole year, 89% had the uterine prolapse, which is where the uterus is kind of pushing into the front wall of the vaginal canal. 90% had a cystocele, which is where the bladder is pushing into the front wall of the vaginal canal. 70% had a rectocele, which is when the rectum is pushing into the back wall of the canal. And almost all of them had multi-compartment involvement, meaning the front and the back right. of the vaginal canal were involved. But the good news is 80% of them had no symptoms at all. So there's a real question about, you know, how much does this really impact a person if they're not experiencing symptoms? And what kinds of things do we need to tell people to be aware of if they do present with a prolapse, but they're asymptomatic? Right. And what's what's your feeling on that? Um, I have I have I do have kind of mixed feelings about it because I think in my experience of working with people with prolapse, prolapse is a scary word to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try very, very hard to encourage people that just because you have a prolapse doesn't mean that you won't be able to do all the things that you want to do. And most of the time, it is something that is very well managed conservatively, meaning with physical therapy or with something called a pessary, which we can talk about as well. Um, So I err on the side of just telling people to, if I see it, first of all, a physical therapist cannot diagnose prolapse. Mm -hmm. So if I see what I think is a prolapse, I will encourage them to go see their OB-GYN and have a conversation with the OB-GYN. But I will, I will mostly just encourage them to tell me what kinds of symptoms or feelings they're experiencing when they're moving. So that if I'm picking up on something that is a prolapse symptom, I can use that as a tool to help me decide when an exercise needs to be taken a step back before we can really go into it. Sure. Um, Two things come up for me. One, I mean, this sounds like when we see on imaging, you know, imaging of a back that somebody has, right, like um, a herniated disc or or the hip, someone has a labral tear, but they're asymptomatic type of deal. Totally. Um, Where it doesn't necessarily change too much functionally at the moment, right? Um, yeah. The other thing I, I wanted to just clarify is you said that you think that there's a misconception about prolapse. Can you clarify like what you what you mean by that? What's the misconception? I think that when people hear the word prolapse, they visualize their organs falling out of them. Oh, sure. Gotcha. And so, yes, th- there is some descent of the organs, but unless you have a higher grade prolapse, prolapses are graded uh, on a scale of one to four, mm-hmm. you have to have at least a grade three prolapse for it to even be visible outside of the vaginal canal. So in unless you have a significant prolapse, your organs are still inside, inside you. you. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, that doesn't mean that you can't, can't have a grade one prolapse and have symptoms. Sure. But you are, it's not like you're walking around with your organs not Hanging inside of you. your body. Right. Yeah. That's, that's, I think extreme. there's a similar misconception about diastasis, which we will talk about yes, later. Yes. Absolutely will. Um, and is, is this something, so this can be managed conservatively, you said. 
Yes. So talk to me a little bit about that. Sure. So um, physical therapy has been shown to be really effective, especially in grade one and two prolapse. Um, And what that looks like is a couple of things. Mm -hmm. Thing number one is pelvic floor muscle strength and exercise, because if the connective tissues have lost some of their strength, then you need some extra help from the dynamic structures or the muscular structures in the pelvic floor. So there's some pelvic floor muscle strength training that has to go on. Mm -hmm. And you can do that in different positions for people who are more symptomatic. You can start with them with their pelvis elevated so that they are, they have gravity kind of on their side. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can start working in that position and then slowly progress to more and more weight bearing activities more and more impact activities, things like that. Um, so there is a like a training element. Then there's also uh, other pieces of training or what we call in physical therapy, like neuromuscular reeducation, which is, it's really important for people, especially people with symptomatic prolapse to learn how to breathe and how to manage intra-abdominal pressure, which is the pressure within those muscles of the core cylinder that I described before, because if you have, if you hold your breath or you bear down or you, um, you aren't using that system efficiently, then you can put more pressure down onto your pelvic floor and pelvic organs. And that's probably if you are symptomatic going to exacerbate your prolapse symptoms. Gotcha. Um, and another, another clarifying question. So you said PT can be helpful for individuals with prolapse. Um, do you mean like helpful with symptoms or is there a way that you can like reverse the grades, so to speak? Like if you have a grade two, can you like with PT, can you have a grade one? I don't, I don't know how that works. So honest question. Yeah. So there's, there is some evidence that with physical therapy, you can decrease a, low grade prolapse by a grade. So like if you're at a grade two, you can maybe go to a grade one. Um, But if you are at say a grade four, which is full descent, Mm -hmm. then you're not going to have that kind of effect. That makes sense. With physical therapy. That makes sense. Um, There are, so I mentioned pessaries also. Mm -hmm. A a pessary is essentially, uh, there's a bunch of different types of them, but they're a device that you insert in the vaginal canal and it can help support the pelvic viscera. So it can help support the bladder, the rectum and the um, uterus and vagina. And there's a bunch of different shapes of them, but essentially what they do is they get inserted and they sit above the level of the pelvic floor muscles to help provide support to those organs. And um, there is some good evidence for using that in conjunction with physical therapy especially because they sit above the pelvic floor muscle. So you can still do pelvic muscle training and strengthening mm-hmm. with a pessary inserted. Nice. Is that something that, that lives in you or can you take it in and out? There are different kinds. Uh-huh. Um, in the United States, a physical therapist cannot fit you for a pessary. Uh-huh. So they are fitted for you by either your gynecologist or a urogynecologist. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are different kinds. The most common kind is a ring pessary, and those can be inserted or taken out um, kind of whenever you want. They can be taken out for sex. They can be taken out when you're not doing an activity, um, and they're pretty easy to take in and out. 
but for more um, severe grades of prolapse or for people who, you know, aren't sexually active or people who, you know, older people, different types of indications for pessaries, there are ones that stay in over a longer period of time and then just get taken out periodically to be cleaned. Gotcha. Great. Thanks, Julia. Um, all right, let's move on to urinary incontinence. Sure. Um, again, very common postpartum uh, to have urinary incontinence. But uh, unlike prolapse, this one is one that should go away. Mm -hmm. uh, usually within six weeks, sometimes as long as three months, if there was significant tearing during delivery or any other kind of birth trauma. Um, but if it's persisting beyond the six to eight week period, that's when you should be seeing a pelvic floor physical therapist. All right. So if you're still having urinary incontinence, um, six to eight weeks, you should go see a PT. Does that mean, um, yeah. is that all kinds of incontinence? I'm assuming so. Yes. Although there are other things when we get into GI, we can talk a little bit about fecal incontinence because, um, the reasons why that happened are a little different. Okay. So, um, Talk to me a little bit about why it's so common to see urinary incontinence. Yeah. So for similar reasons to what we were describing with prolapse about, you know, there's been a weight on the pelvic floor for all of this time. The body has gone through a lot of changes, all of the, all of those kinds of things. All of those things are also going to affect urinary function because as we said in the beginning, the muscles in your pelvic floor are there participating in all of those functions at the same time. Sure. Um, so there's definitely some overlap in the rationale there. Something else that we touched on in the prolapse section was, um, we, I very briefly mentioned the idea of postural changes. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that is really important both for prolapse and for urinary incontinence, because when you're pregnant, your body has to figure out a way to balance itself against gravity with a new increasing weight in front of you. And that usually leads to the, um, the ribs kind of flaring out a little bit, mm -hmm. sometimes a little bit of extension in the upper back. Mm -hmm. There are the, the jury's kind of out on what happens at the low back. Some people say it arches, some people say it flattens. The point is that a lot of changes are happening yes. in terms of how people who are or have been pregnant are carrying themselves when they move around. Um, and so looking at that and kind of teaching people how to find a, a position that's more similar to what they had before mm -hmm. is really important. Um, and the reason for that is that, as I said in the beginning, all of your core muscles need to be able to work together. So if that canister of muscles isn't stacked up well, then they can't operate as efficiently as a team as they can when they are stacked up well. Gotcha. That makes sense. So besides besides changing posture, tell me a little bit about how um, uh, pelvic floor PT can help with urinary incontinence. Yeah. So again, there's a strength component, right? These muscles have been under stress, lengthened, and working really hard for a long time. So helping a person 
a find those muscles again because after delivery sometimes it's very difficult to even connect with your pelvic floor amen so helping a person find that uh kind of re-educating breathing patterns is also really important for all of the same reasons i just described with um maintaining pressure within the abdominal cavity mm -hmm. Because if you really think about what a sneeze or a laugh or a cough, which are the things that people often will complain of leakage with um, postpartum, those are all changes in intra-abdominal pressure. And so teaching a person to be able to respond to those changes in intra-abdominal pressure is a really important piece of helping a person with urinary incontinence. Absolutely. And as we said in the beginning, our, our pelvic floor is part of our core. And we obviously need that <laughs> to, right. um, for dancing and for life in general. Um, and I can, I can imagine, I'm just, just thinking about dance specifically, that mm -hmm. going back to dance and partnering and you know, jumping, obviously, all these kinds of things are going to necessitate having a strong, or not a strong necessarily, but a, a pelvic floor that knows what to do. Right. Right. You can think of impact. So to the, to your point about how that relates to dancing, impact is a change in intra-abdominal pressure, mm -hmm. right? When you hit the ground or even when you take off, you're changing your intra-abdominal pressure to achieve that activity. Right. So working on how to, how your body is going to respond to that change in pressure, but also how to jump and land and do all of those functional tasks in a way that allows you to use your body as efficiently as possible are really important. But those things have to, in, if you were going to think about like, what order am I going to do this in? Mm -hmm. A person needs to be able to identify their pelvic floor muscles, right. feel what happens when they try to contract them or not, or doesn't happen, and then train that up and then start working on progressively more challenging tasks until you can get to impact. Right. And so maybe a person goes back to class and does small jumps at the bar and then does some jumps, smaller jumps at center and then scales their larger jumps before they start going into like a full jeté in center or anything like that. Um, so you have to kind of, just like any other injury you're rehabbing, you have to sort of grade how you're going to um, return to those activities, but the mm -hmm. goals are more about pelvic floor muscle strength, pelvic floor muscle anticipation of movements and management of intra-abdominal pressure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, this will, this speaks to a larger point, which I'm sure, you know, we'll probably wrap up with, which is, I mean, even if you're not having urinary incontinence, um, it, that's something that is important to do when you're returning postpartum period, because right. of all the things you mentioned before, right? If you have a vaginal delivery, that's a, a whole bunch, that's a quite an injury to your pelvic floor. Even just carrying a child is a lot of weight on your pelvic floor, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and we haven't even really talked about C-sections, but yes. No. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, is there anything else you wanted to say about urinary incontinence or should we move on to GI? So there are some known risk factors for having postpartum urinary incontinence. And uh, one of them is if you had urinary incontinence during pregnancy, you're more likely to have it postpartum and it's more likely to be more difficult, or I shouldn't say difficult. It's more likely to take a little bit longer to resolve. Mm -hmm. 
So if you are a person who during pregnancy is having some urinary incontinence, I would encourage you to go see a pelvic floor PT postpartum because you will likely need some help to alleviate that symptom. That said, leakage at any age is not normal. And so you can make it better. It's just, you might need a little bit more help. Yeah. Um, the other thing is prolonged second stage labor. So the pushing phase mm -hmm. of labor, if you're pushing for a very long time, you're more likely to have urinary incontinence. Um, and there are other couple, a couple other less common risk factors, but those are the big, the big two. Like if you have either of those things, I would strongly encourage you to see a pelvic floor PT or ask your OBGYN for a referral if they don't give you one. Yeah. And I, I would say to your point about leakage is not normal at any age. I, I think that you know, leakage is more common than I think we let on. Um, mm -hmm. So you're not alone and you shouldn't be embarrassed. Absolutely. I and I think that, um, you know, with dance specifically, I think it gets normalized a lot, mm -hmm. um, whether or not a person is postpartum. And so know that if you are leaking when you're dancing, there are probably a lot of other people that that's happening to, but there is, there are ways to make it better and make it go away. And it's not just you. Right. Seek help. Um, okay. Let's talk a little bit about the GI system. Go for it. Okay. So um, a lot of things can affect your bowel movements postpartum. You could, it, uh, long labor is also going to be something that's going to affect your GI system in addition to putting you at risk for urinary incontinence. Whether or not you had a C-section is going to impact your bowel movements. Um, Sometimes after a C-section, people are given narcotics mm -hmm. to help alleviate the pain that can affect your bowel movements. If you had an episiotomy or tearing during delivery, that will affect your bowel movements as well. Um, there are some pelvic floor muscle injuries that can happen during birth. One of the more common, it's not, it's not a common injury, but it is one of the more commonly seen injuries is a levator muscle avulsion. And that is essentially like the muscle, one of the muscles of your pelvic floor kind of gets pulled away from the bone during delivery. And lastly, this is not really a pelvic floor muscle thing, but stress in any time of life, but definitely postpartum will affect your bowel movements. And as a new mom, it can be really hard to control stress. It's a yes. lot of things. There's a new baby to be responsible for, and you're trying to balance a lot of roles. And I think stress is a very over easily overlooked as a cause of postpartum problems, but it can truly lead to most of the symptoms that we're talking about right now. So mm -hmm. definitely something to keep in mind. Totally. And throw in um, a pandemic and you've right. got yourself a really great cocktail. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about how all these things affect the GI system? Sure. Um, one of the more common complaints postpartum in terms of bowel function is constipation. Mm -hmm. And that's a really important one for a couple of reasons. First, if you had a C-section and you are trying to protect your C-section incision, 
it's very important to be able to have a bowel movement without straining because you don't want to put more pressure right. than you need to through that incision. Um, it's also important to avoid straining if you're having constipation and you had a vaginal delivery because constipation is going to increase stress on your pelvic floor muscles. Um, and straining is just going to increase that pressure even more. Mm -hmm. And it can also increase your risk for hemorrhoids or make your hemorrhoids more symptomatic if they're already there, mm -hmm. which hemorrhoids are also extremely common postpartum, both because of the pressure that's been on the pelvic floor over a long period of time and also because of pushing for delivery. Right. Um, so constipation is super common, but it needs to be managed because of the straining. So if you are having constipation postpartum, first of all, know that it's extremely common. Secondly, um, you know, the things that people tell you to do to manage constipation postpartum sound very basic, but when you factor in not getting enough sleep, not really having enough time to make yourself meals and being very stressed, these things get forgotten. Mm -hmm. So, you know, make sure you're having enough water and think about what you're eating. Not that you can't give into cravings or, you know, eat things that are on the go or any of those things, because that can become a necessity, but eating oily or greasy or fatty foods without a balance of things that are richer in fiber, like um, fruits or vegetables or, you know, oatmeal, that kind of stuff can lead to constipation because you won't have enough kind of bulk to your stool to really be able to pass it efficiently. Um, uh, because the straining is so like, we really want to avoid that because of the stress that's already been on those structures throughout the pregnant and like delivery period, you might consider taking a stool softener, especially early on. Some people might have concerns about that if they're breastfeeding, but they stool softeners have been shown to be safe for breastfeeding moms. And um, some doctors will even just prescribe one called Colace to new moms to just make sure that they're able to have a bowel movement. Um, if you had a C-section and you're really having trouble having your first bowel movement, your first bowel movement can feel scary. Yes. So some people, you know, some people might avoid it because they're a little nervous. Um, and so teaching, you know, teaching new moms how to splint their abdomen if they had a C-section can be really helpful. And what I mean by that is like, you can either wrap your forearms sort of around your lower abdomen um, as a support, or you can put a pillow in front of you just so that you feel like your abdomen has a little bit of support when you're trying to push. Mm -hmm. Um, or teaching people how to use different breath strategies and pelvic floor relaxation techniques to make it, make you not feel like you're really pushing into your pelvic floor muscles when you're trying to pass a bowel movement, all of that's really important and really helpful postpartum. Yeah. Squatty potty was really good for me. Yes. Yeah. Squatty potty is great. For those who don't know what it is, it's basically like a stool that you put your feet up on to have a bowel movement, which puts you in more of a squat position. And it takes, it puts one of your pelvic floor muscles called the puborectalis. 
it slacks that muscle up so that it's not bending the rectum anymore. And you have a much more straight shot to be able to get a bowel movement out. But if you don't want to invest in a squatty potty and you have something else at home, like shoe boxes, yoga blocks, whatever you've got at home to lift your feet up when you're on the toilet, any of those things can help. Yeah. Also a garbage can turned on its side if you're getting really yep. creative. Yep. Other things that you can do for yourself that will help with constipation. There is, um, there are these kind of like natural herb remedy pads called witch hazel pads, which there's not really a whole lot of evidence for this, but people swear by them. So, um, and it's, it's like a natural herbal remedy. It's from a plant. Um, but people say that it really helps them and you can just kind of like put them on your abdomen. So you can, um, and you can put them in the, uh, like in the freezer to preserve them and then they're cold and it feels kind of good. So people love that. Um, you can do perennial massage for yourself. You might have learned to even do that. If you were seeing a pelvic floor PT before you delivered, you might've been doing perennial massage in preparation for delivery. So doing that, um, you know, don't do that. Don't do that in the first six weeks because, you know, a lot of things happen. You might not feel great about touching the area. Um, I mean, if you feel comfortable with it, go for it. But if, it, if you're still having constipation and it's been six weeks and you feel comfortable touching the area, you can do some perennial massage to help the muscles kind of like relax enough to be able to bear down to have a bowel movement. Um, and then otherwise managing your hemorrhoids is very important for being able to have a good postpartum bowel movement. And, um, straining is an important part of that, but you might also want to have a donut pillow around just to ease discomfort in the area. Um, and you can also do like a warm sits bath to help ease discomfort in the area to just, if you're, like I said before with pain, like if you're having pain, things won't behave the way you want them to. So just easing any discomfort in that area will help. Right. Right. Thank you. Um, and you talked before, or you mentioned, uh, before something about fecal incontinence. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. So fecal incontinence means that you are unable to control evacuation of fecal matter. And you oftentimes when that's happening, it's looser fecal matter because that's much more difficult for us to control. Um, if you are having fecal incontinence postpartum, that is definitely a time to see a physical therapist. Um, oftentimes, so we talked, we touched a little bit on tearing postpartum. There are different grades of, or sorry, tearing during delivery. Mm -hmm. um, there are different grades of tears. Grade three and four tears, there are, there are a total of four grades of tearing. Grades one and two do not involve the anal sphincter or the rectum, but grades three and four do. So you can imagine that if you tore through the anal sphincter and even into the rectal mucosa, you will have some difficulty controlling bowel function after delivery. And if you had stitches, which if you had that level of a grade of a tear, you probably did have stitches. Mm -hmm then there is also the, the, the component of like needing to be able to move the scar postpartum. So all of those things 
are reasons to see a pelvic floor physical therapist, because not only will they be able to help you with the soft tissues in the area, but they'll also be able to help you retrain function in that area, which is going to be important for those people. Um, another thing that can cause fecal incontinence, which I mentioned before, is a levator avulsion because it's going to affect the ability of the pelvic floor muscles to efficiently support bowel function. And what that is, is if you imagine your pelvic floor muscles as like a sling of muscles running from your pubic bone to your tailbone, sometimes during delivery and it, most of the time, most frequently, if it's gonna happen, it happens if you had like a forceps or a vacuum assisted delivery, mm -hmm. um, you can have some pulling away of the muscle from the pubic bone. And then that muscle won't be able to contract potentially at all if it's fully pulled away or as strongly if it's partially pulled away. So that's something that um, a pelvic floor therapist can assess for. And if they are going to find it, they will refer you, they will talk to your doctor about it because that's something that might need some medical management. Excellent. Um, so when it comes to fecal incontinence, it might be it might be happening in the beginning, in the very early postpartum period, like in the first few weeks, but it should be resolved at or even before that six week mark. Nice. Um, I wanted to like take a second. I feel like this deserves a, a second of recognition because you mentioned scarring. Um, I um, can, can we like elaborate? Can we talk a little bit more about scarring and how that's going to affect your pelvic floor and, and perhaps other functioning as well? Because we obviously we, we talked about it in terms of fecal incontinence, but that does that have anything to do with urinary incontinence and how your core is functioning and that kind of stuff? Yeah. So if you have pain in general, that's going to affect how the structures that you have pain in are behaving. So if you had a tear and you have stitches and now you have perennial pain, that's going to affect your pelvic floor muscle function. And as we talked about, you know, there are a number of things going on in your pelvic floor that could be affected. So it could affect their ability to work together with your core muscles. It could affect urinary incontinence. It could affect bowel function. And something that I know stresses out a lot of postpartum people is that it can definitely affect sexual function mm -hmm. um, and it can cause pain with sexual function. You don't even necessarily have to have had a tear to have pain with sexual function after delivery. So, um, you know, making sure if that's happening, it could be because you have a scar and that scar needs some attention, or it could be because you had an episiotomy um, that then you would still have a scar because you would still have had stitches from that. Um, you know, sometimes it could just be that um, there, there are certain areas of your pelvic floor muscles that are like holding on to a little more muscle tension because of um, connective tissue laxity that happened postpartum. And those things can be addressed by a pelvic floor physical therapist as well. So, um, so I think pain is something that gets kind of like discredited and people think it's just like kind of normal and or their new normal and try to ignore it but it's something that can absolutely be eliminated with some help um okay talk to us julia a little bit about breastfeeding the important thing to know about breastfeeding is that it's 
it's going to prolong the effects of hormonal changes postpartum. So it is, I mean, certainly it's going to impact the mom from the perspective of like needing more water and needing more food, but also it's going to, it's going to impact the mom because it's going to change what your hormones are doing postpartum. Um, estrogen is a big one that's going to be impacted. All women have low levels of estrogen for the first couple of months after giving birth because it was low throughout the pregnancy. Um, but continued breastfeeding will extend that period of time for at least six months. And some women will even have it low estrogen for months after they stop breastfeeding. So that can lead to all of the kinds of symptoms that we associate with low estrogen, like fatigue and difficulty concentrating, joint pain, which is important for people who are trying to get back into activity because mm -hmm. your body might just not quite feel ready to take on some of the things that you want it to um, if you're breastfeeding for a prolonged period of time. And I want to say real quick, that does not mean don't breastfeed. Right. Breastfeeding, if you choose to breastfeed and, and you are breastfeeding, that's fantastic. You know, that is a choice that you make that is independent of your activity level and is absolutely a natural choice to make if that's the one you're making. Um, so be, just because these changes might happen when you're breastfeeding doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Right, right. Just be easier on yourself as you are returning. Right. Just know that it might it might stretch out the period of time that it takes for you to start to feel more like yourself in your body. Yeah, absolutely. So um, in terms of returning to dance, I mean, I can imagine that would be, that would take form of, you know, potentially talking to your choreographer or the artistic director or whomever to, to let them know how you're feeling to make sure you're totally. not overloaded too quickly. Totally. And the other, um, so I think sometimes uh, when people think about like low back pain and um, you know, those kinds of things during pregnancy and postpartum, something that gets talked a lot about is the hormone relaxin. Mm -hmm. And that hormone is something that kind of helps your body soften up ligaments um, and other connective tissue structures to help make enough space essentially for the baby and then for delivery. Mm -hmm. And um, there is some evidence there. There's actually, um, you know, this is a tangent, but there is not really evidence that increased levels of relax and increased low back pain. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, but that said, relaxin will continue to be high postpartum while you are still breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. So it will you will still have that kind of like softness, a little more softness in the ligaments um, in that breastfeeding period. And that can make it so that you just don't necessarily feel like as strong, especially at end range. That makes sense. And by end range, you mean end range of your joints, like end range. Right, end range end movements. Range. Yeah, exactly. Right, right exactly. Um, speaking of softness, does, um, breastfeeding or not breastfeeding have anything to do with, um, how quickly your body might lose the pregnancy weight? So, um, weight loss with breastfeeding, it kind of can go either way. 
because your body is expending a lot of energy to produce milk and then breastfeed your body. Some people actually lose weight faster when they're breastfeeding. Some people don't. And then, you know, they get, there's a lot of fear around that too. It's like, uh, I've heard people say, Oh, you know, my sister lost all of her pregnancy weight while she was breastfeeding and I haven't lost any of it. Don't worry. Some people don't lose the weight while they're breastfeeding because of the hormonal changes or whatever it is. We don't hundred percent know, but it might slow down your post-pregnancy weight loss. Um, but so it can kind of go either way on that. I would just be ready for the fact that it's going to affect your energy level and you will need more food and water when you're breastfeeding. So I would say that, um, you know, I understand that there is a lot of concern around postpartum weight loss and, and people want to get back to feeling like they felt before they were pregnant. But remember that breastfeeding is a pretty significant demand on your body and you need to be able to fuel it for that during the time that you're doing it. And then you can sort of shift your goals when you're not doing it anymore. Right. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the weight loss being potentially even more of a concern within dancing, right? Um, right. As we want to go back to our dancing bodies. Um, I I will bring up, like you mentioned, you know, you need to eat, you need to have, you know, sufficient water and food to keep up with the demand of breastfeeding and breastfeeding, you know, is a, is a great choice. Um, and to all of those of you who are listening, who are returning to dance, remember that that is also a, an additional demand on your body that needs additional food and water. Um, right. And so you really, I mean, be mindful of what you're eating, eat nutrient dense foods and definitely eat enough. Right. Right. Yeah. That's I think all. one of the things sometimes that happens um, when people return to a higher level activity like dance too, is that like you said, now you have competing loads, competing stresses on the body. And so sometimes uh, it can be harder to produce enough milk if you're not getting enough hydration and nutrients. Um, and that's something that is also really important to postpartum moms. So that period of time, I would say that everything that happens to your body postpartum is like a change, but it's not necessarily a new normal. Right. But there are still going to be like phases of that postpartum period where you there's a reason it's being called the fourth trimester. You know, mm -hmm. your body is going to go through a series of changes during that period of time. And it's not it's going to take some time for you to feel like pre pregnancy you. Yeah. So I try to encourage people to kind of embrace those things as they return to their activity, mm -hmm. but just know that there is a certain amount of like taking care of yourself that has to happen. And dance is part of that. Dance yeah. is part of taking care of yourself because yeah. it's something that either brings you income or joy or both. Right. You know? <laughs> um, but, uh, but taking care of yourself also from like a health nutrition, hydration, all of those perspectives and just time with your babies. Right. All really important. Right. And mental well-being too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Embrace that. Easier said than done, but absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> find, absolutely. find your support community to help you make that a possibility. Yes. That's a huge part of it too. Um, okay. So um, 
Let's finish up by talking about the musculoskeletal system and diastasis recti and core and all that fun stuff. Yeah. Um, so I think diastasis is probably like the hottest topic of totally. talking about postpartum rehab. That's why we put <laughs> it at the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I think, so the first thing I want to say is, like I said, similar to prolapse, there's this misconception that if you have a diastasis, your organs are falling out. Yeah. If you have a diastasis, your organs are not falling out. There are so many layers of things between your abdominal wall and your organs and your organs are not falling out. Woohoo. Woohoo. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, and you know, one of, I think most of the time when I see people postpartum who have consulted Dr. Google before they've consulted oh, me. Scary place. Yeah. It's a scary place. And it, and I think it, it really instills a lot of fear in people. Mm -hmm. um, and then people start to avoid movements because they learn that certain movements can be aggravating for a diastasis. And I completely understand where that fear is coming from. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think it's important to work with somebody who can help you sort of learn to monitor your own diastasis and then help progressively load your body so that you're ready to take on higher level tasks mm -hmm. like jumping and other, you know, Jumping is probably the most high impact thing that you're going to do. Um, partnering also, you know, all of the things that are going to put a pretty significant load through your body. Um, but I think that uh, the most important thing to tell a person with a diastasis is like, this does not mean that you will never be able to do a sit up again. Right. You know, this does not mean that you can't, you know, go back to dance class. This doesn't mean you can never do Pilates. doesn't mean any of those things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what it means is that we need to figure, we need to teach you to breathe and manage intra-abdominal pressure. I know that I keep saying that, but it really is like a Important. running theme yeah. for a lot of these things because those muscles of the core work together, like I said. So if I'm not breathing efficiently or I'm not using those muscles efficiently as a group, then I'm gonna put more stress through one group of them and that can push into like the weaker part of the system. Right. So if there is a diastasis, I might push, I might kind of like think of, if I have a soda can that has a hole in it, then, and I just like try to blow air into that hole and increase the pressure in the soda can, it's just gonna go right through the hole. So I need to, I need to train you to learn how to, create tension in front of that hole so that things don't go through it. Right. Um, but not your organs. You're not, organs not, not your organs. Out. I know. Yeah. I was realizing that that was maybe not the best analogy because okay. your organs will not go through the hole. Yeah. They will not go through the hole. <laughs> will not happen. Yeah. Um, but, and there's, there's also kind of a, a newer mentality about thinking about diastasis. I think we should really quick define what diastasis is in case anyone's not sure. That's good. Um, diastasis is when the, the bellies of your rectus abdominis muscle, which is like your six pack muscles separate and there's a space between them. And that is something that happens very, very, very frequently, if not almost all the time during pregnancy to accommodate the baby. It's just, it's just happening to make space mm -hmm. for the baby. And so postpartum, 
usually it kind of decreases on its own, especially within that six to eight week postpartum period. It might not fully resolve. Um, and certain things like breastfeeding might prolong the period of time that it's there, but it will get better over that initial postpartum period. And then after that is when you want to really make sure that you're training those muscles of the core, the pelvic floor, the diaphragm, the front and back trunk muscles to all work together so that you can generate enough tension there to basically make sure that those muscles can function well together without, um, without poorly distributing intra-abdominal pressure mm -hmm. in the system. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, the point of all of that being we, we, the rehab community used to look at the space between the bellies of the rectus abdominis as the important thing when we were talking about managing diastasis. But there's actually research now that shows that not only is that not really a predictor of how well people with diastasis will do when they return to activity, but it's also goes against what the transverse abdominis muscle does when it's working efficiently, because when that muscle gets tensioned, it will actually pull apart the mm -hmm. bellies of the rectus abdominis. Mm -hmm. So now what we look at is the ability to generate enough tension in those deeper abdominal muscles so that the space between the bellies of the rectus doesn't feel as deep. Mm -hmm. And that is a sign that a person is using their core muscles efficiently. Awesome. So that kind of goes into like multiple times over our chat, you have mentioned progressive overload. Um, and I think kind of like starting to zoom out a little bit in terms of like um, you know, returning to dance. Um, it's, it's important to like, and looking more at the, the broader, broadly at the musculoskeletal system, like it's important to get these things in check, right? The, like if you, if you have a diastasis, if you have any kind of prolapse, if you have urinary incontinence, if, if your pelvic floor muscles just aren't working the way they were before, right? And, and start by getting these things back online and then progressively overload, not like just dump everything at the same time and go back into class, yes. progressively overload your body so that you are ready to return to class, which often needs a helping hand. Yeah. I, you know, there are countries where having a postpartum pelvic floor physical therapy checkup is standard of care. Mm -hmm. And I really wish that we did that in the United States because people want to be able to go back to the things that they want to do. And they want to feel like they can do that safely. Right. And it would be so great if every person had an assessment, just looking at like, how are these muscles doing? Are they working efficiently? Is there maybe even just a few things we can recommend that people try to help them get there? Not everyone is going to need to see a physical therapist for a bunch of sessions postpartum, but maybe some people will. And so if we made that part of what every person got postpartum, we would catch the people who did. Right. Um, but yes, I think to your point, you know, I think the most important, if you get nothing else from this podcast, mm -hmm. um, know that there are a, a lot of things that can happen postpartum and that there's help for them. And also just like anything else that your body goes through, 
you need to go back into your activities in like a measured way so that you're not doing too much too fast because pregnancy and postpartum will take some time and that is also normal. Yeah, totally normal. And I mean, I think the one comment that I'll end with here for me is that what was difficult for me, I like, you know, before I had my child and then now after too is the um, – the oh my gosh media all this kind of you know all the commercials and all the products that you get right it's all these moms that are like so happy and they are so like they look so healthy and well rested and like look this person is way back in shape and she looks like she has a two-month-old like how the heck did that happen um but what is more normal is not what is pictured (laughs) absolutely Um, they're um i something we really did not talk about is what happens to your hormones postpartum and how that can affect your mental health. Mm -hmm. Um, Aside from just sleep and, you know, having a tough time getting all your meals in and stress and all of these other factors, there really are changes to your hormones that are happening postpartum that will lead to what's called like baby blues for the beginning. And that's like a, that's like a lesser version it's it's real and it happens to people but it's not as severe as things like postpartum depression or postpartum um you know traumatic stress for especially for people who had a traumatic birthing experience so you know all of that stuff is is way more common than we really talk about and a hugely important piece of what we should be preparing people for when they're approaching the postpartum period. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Julia, thank you so much for sharing uh, not all of your knowledge, just part of it because there's a lot more to talk about. Um, (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) We could keep going for hours. We so could. Uh, So for anyone who is listening who – uh, wants to get in touch with Julia, maybe wants a little bit of pelvic floor PT, maybe wants to just learn a few more things. Julia, where can people get in touch with you? Um, so you can find me at my website, which is empowerpt.nyc, or you can email me at julia at empowerpt.nyc, and that's spelled like the word empower PT for physical therapy. Um, and, uh, you could also follow me on Instagram at Julia Rosenthal DPT, and you can reach out to me that way as well. Cool. And as usual, um, all of this information will be in the show notes. So you can look down there. Uh, again, I thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. It was my pleasure. On behalf of Ellie and myself, I, Marissa Schaefer, want to say thank you to all of our listeners for joining us on this episode of Dancewell Podcast. Our intro soundscape was composed by the dynamic duo Brendan Berry and Dylan Ezzy, and dancer-designer Katie Dean crafted our visual image. To those of you who have made this season possible by contributing to Dancewell, we are infinitely grateful. We wouldn't be where we are without you. Your donations help us to pay for SoundCloud membership, website fees and upgrades, and our recording technology. If you too would like to make a contribution to Dancewell, please follow the link in the description of this podcast to visit our GoFundMe page. We thank you in advance for your support. And lastly, if you like what you hear, we invite you to go to iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud and search Dancewell Podcast to subscribe. You can also view all of our episodes and learn more about this podcast by visiting our website at www.dancewellpodcast.com. If you have questions or want to get in touch, email us at dancewellpodcast at gmail.com. 
拜。